Well, good morning, Essence Place. Thank you for joining us online. Um, today in our sermon, we're taking a different approach than what you would normally experience on a Sunday with Essence Place. And we're going to be having a conversation uh, for you to be able to listen in on and receive from God this morning. And so um, one of the things that we've seen be so amazing about the way that God is working in our community is that God has been leading us, us on a journey uh, for several months now and, and bringing us to new places of transformation, both inwardly and then outwardly in our relationships. We've seen it um, around the start of the year when we were in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series. Uh, we've seen it um, through our present season where we've been quarantined at home, but um, we've been talking about what it means to have Jesus wisdom in uncertain times. Even in the most recent weeks, we've been talking from uh, Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes, the, the blessings of Jesus that he preaches in the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. Blessed are those who um, are peacemakers and seek to make peace. And so today what we want to do is bring you into a conversation that has been unfolding. And one of the places that that's been happening for us as a church is our online Facebook group. Earlier this week, um, we had some posts shared in that group that then started a conversation that um, has been happening across our country, but then also happening in our community around issues of race, bias, prejudice, white privilege, and bringing some understanding of what those things mean for us as peoples, as people, but also as believers. And so today, we have joining us, we have Pastor Kristen and myself, but I also want to introduce to you um, some others who are a part of our church community. Um, we have Sharissa Rivera and Will Rivera. You guys say hello. And one of the things I asked them to do is as we step into the conversation today, we're going to talk about um, how we talk, have challenging, difficult conversations about race and um, relationship in the church. And so one of the things I asked them to do was to share their own identity, culturally, ethnically, for you so you understand as we get into the conversation where everybody is coming from. So say hello, Will and Sharissa. Hi. Hey. And then um, we also have Carlton Jones. Hi, everyone. Good morning. And then Courtney Canfin. Hey, everybody. And then we had also asked uh, Lesbia Hernandez to be on with us. And at the time of our recording, she was not feeling well, had lost her voice and couldn't join us on here. And so we're praying for her, praying that um, she will be feeling well soon. But um, one of the things when we get into this conversation that's so important is for us to realize that transformation uh, happens from um, the internal God working in us, and then it begins to transform every other part of our life. And so when we experience transformation by God, it's not just a spiritual thing that helps me know how to read the Bible more or how to pray more, pray um, in the right way, or just to love God more, but it's actually experiencing transformation in areas that we've talked about, like bias, prejudice, and um, in having conversations like this, it's one way that God helps us to have um, greater awareness and experience that transformation. God works through our willingness to come together in humility and to learn together as we share our own stories and our experiences. And um, I'm so thankful that uh, these individuals are joining today with a willingness to continue this conversation in really just a, a very vulnerable way. We have to recognize that these conversations are not just about bringing social justice to the table um, in our faith community, but it's actually seeing that these conversations are necessary for the transformation that needs to occur as part of God's justice um, in the world and what God is seeking for us to learn and to be as we're learning to love Jesus and be like Jesus in our community. 
Yeah, uh, we often use the scripture in Micah chapter six, verses eight, um, that it talks about what God requires of every person, requires us to walk humbly, to love mercy and do justice. Um, if we're to truly love our neighbor, which we know is the greatest commandment in scripture. Um, but the reality is, is that we do not always live that out in a transformative, engaged, um, in action way. And Tim Keller in his book on biblical justice, it points out uh, that to walk humbly is to actually know God intimately and be engaged with what he loves and what he desires. And that is is to do justice and love mercy. Um, and we, I really loved what Keller points out that these are actually not two separate things. Um, he says in his book, he says, the term for mercy is the Hebrew word hesed. May I pronounce that right? <laughs> God's unconditional grace and compassion or his loving kindness. The word for justice is the Hebrew term mishpat. And in Micah chapter six, verse eight, Mishpat puts the emphasis on the action. Hesed puts it on the attitude or the motive behind the action. So to walk with God, then we must do justice out of merciful love. So today we want to um, do our best as we've gathered together uh, to model what a conversation would look like that is filled um, prayerfully with humility, with grace, with honesty, and with empathy. And, and we want to walk in a way that is not just loving mercy and showing mercy, but in a way that is actually an engaged action of doing justice. And so um, we want to take a look at what we've learned the last couple of weeks, as Pastor Brad said in Matthew chapter 5, and, and talk about how this might live be lived out. And so we believe that uh, justice and the racial divide, it starts. It needs to start. It must start with the body of Christ. And so the church that we talk about here is not just Essence Place. We are only one part of the body of Christ. So when we say church, we're talking about the church collectively, the body of Christ, but definitely for Essence Place community, the community in which we live, we serve, we love, and we are present. And so thank you so much, um, to all four of you uh, for being willing to come together, um, to be willing to engage in justice, you know, to be willing to show mercy, to be willing to walk humbly, um, but to offer your shared experiences uh, for us to learn from, for us to be able to um, be these experiences to be used by God to transform our lives. And so we, uh, you know, we love you guys and we're just excited. We're excited to be able to have this conversation, but we also walk into this conversation um, sensitively as well. One of the things that we're going to do is just talk through some questions, but I've, been, I've encouraged each one to be willing to respond to each other and to have a dialogue. So this isn't just uh, a group interview, but it really is a conversation. Uh, one of the starting points for us is, as we said, is that the church needs to go first in addressing um, issues of racism, bias, privilege. We've seen this in past eras where there have been churches, many times even during the civil rights era, where it was predominantly black churches that were engaged in the work of racial reconciliation. And so what we're seeing now is this interesting dichotomy where um, it seems as though it's the conversation has kind of moved outside of the church and it's happening online. (laughs) It's happening displayed in social media spaces. 
And so sometimes there's this detachment from what gets posted to how a person actually lives in their life. And so when in, in throwing this first question out to you as a group, um, how does that resonate with you to think about the, the conversation happening inside the church and then um, that place of kind of the church going first in, in starting to have some of these difficult conversations? I'll go first. And I, to, to your point, so I'll start by saying that I identify myself as a Hispanic male. Um, Hispanic, Latino, sometimes there's mixes, but in either case, that's how I identify myself. Um, and that question, my, my initial response is, why not the church? Right? I've always felt that um, the church is supposed to be a safe place, but just because that is the case, you don't have to then not have more uncomfortable conversations. Um, in my studies, I, I read a little bit about that, the prosperity theory and the messages that are always coming from the pulpit that everything is good, everything is great, you know, and I don't think that it's doing the church body, a, a, I think we're doing the church body a disservice for skirting away from the more uncomfortable conversations. I think so it's like, why not the church? We're a church body, we're supposed to love one another. Uh, Christ didn't skirt away from the difficult conversations from the altar, Right. And so I think we don't, we shouldn't do any different than what he did, right? And we're called to be like him. So yeah. why not it start in the church? And I know that's sometimes sitting uncomfortable with people that the church talks about things outside of what's in the book of, of, of the Lord. But this is reality. This is our current situation. So if we can't address current, um, current topics and, and what's going on in the world today, then what are we really talking about, right? Like what, what are we doing and how are we drawing people close to Christ if we can't bring the word to life and and tie the word to what's happening in our current day so that's just that's one of my opinions where it's like I'm, i'd rather have the conversation in church than have it anywhere else to be honest with you yeah. or at least start in church before i have it somewhere else i i think oh uh i i should start off by saying what i identify with um i'm mixed race uh but also uh south pacific islander um for me, and this actually builds on what Kristen said in the intro, uh, where believers are called to a standard of justice. And there's another word that's used also in scripture that translates justice and or righteousness. Um, and I'll probably butcher the pronunciation too, but it's uh, sedica, which is uh, the concept of, we, we look at it as righteousness as you're not looking at inappropriate things on the internet. You're not telling lies. You are not listening to music that has cuss words. You're not watching bad movies. But really, when this was first put out, when this was first written to the original readers, they would have understood it as how you relate to your community. Right Righteousness was right relationship, right living. Um, so for me, when I read that and I see that in scripture, I say, well, as believers, that's what we're called to. So why shouldn't the church be on the forefront of this push for right relationship across yeah. race, um, across, across cultural background? Yeah. It's, it's in scripture and that's what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. That's good. I think you did a great job on that pronunciation. Thanks. <laughs> I may have practiced before we did this. Sure. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll respond. So I first identify as, uh, brace-wise, Black, 
and culturally Jamaican. My family moved here from the island of Jamaica back in the 80s and I was born here. So that's that's culturally raised that way. Um, but to respond to the question, um, definitely like, like like everyone said, like the church is why not the church? Why why shouldn't the congregations begin in the church? A um, little bit about me. So I grew up in a variety of different types of churches. So I grew up in a predominantly black church, a predominantly white church, and multicultural churches. And the uh, conference, I, I could I, I could say I I do not remember the conversation about race racialization happen in the predominantly white church that I attended for a very long time. I was a youth group there, uh, so I, I really, really like involved in, 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 in that community and I don't remember it ever being brought up. Um, not sure why, um, but that's not to like be negative about, about that place. Um, maybe they're uncomfortable sharing, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I think if, if the conversation does, doesn't happen in the church, that that can be, you know, detrimental to uh, the people of the church because they're 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 living in this world where there are different uh, people from different backgrounds, from different cultures. And if they're not, you know, loving their neighbor as, as themselves, like Chris mentioned um, earlier, you know, then, you know, that that is problematic. And they could be, you know, saying things, doing things, you know, that, that, that are, you know, that are prejudiced, that are racist. And like, it, it, it starts at the heart, the heart of the issue is, you know, your issue. So, yeah. you know, it, and, and God's calling, calling us out our, you know, to change our hearts. So if, if like, you know, why not have it begin, you know, at, at the place where, you know, transformation should begin. Yeah, that's good. To feed off of that, I just think that if we are not willing as the church to start the conversation, um, I identify, I'm sorry, as a Black woman. I culturally, um, I grew up in, I was born and raised in London, England. So I'm British, I identify as British, but my grandparents are um, both Jamaican. So that is where my descendants come from. Um, but I think as, as a church, if we are not willing to start the conversation, similar to what Carlton said, I've never... Um, witnessed a conversation based on race in any church of, that I have attended, whether that's been a diverse church, a black church. Um, and I realized that that, that is an issue um, because we as a church are choosing to be complicit if we are not addressing it from the pulpit, if we are not addressing um, our history and uh, relevant topics um, or a relevant situation that clearly is not going anywhere um, based on what history seems to be repeating itself or getting worse. So I think as the church, um, especially when we preach about being brothers and sisters and loving one another as ourselves, um, we are being hypocritical in the way that we are uh, treating one another, but then also being perceived by those that do not know the Lord. And so I think ultimately we are called to be ambassadors. We are called to be justice seekers. And by choosing to be quiet, regardless of which side of the fence you are on, um, we are choosing to be complicit. <clears throat> That's good. I think one of the things for me is that, um, and again, like I know that I am white, I am white and I identify as white, was raised in white culture. And yet what I've realized is that in white privilege, um, you're raised 
in a way of not having to identify your own culture because your culture is the predominant culture because um, by majority in the United States, um, we're, we are raised as white people to understand ourselves as being like, this is the culture. And then everything else gets measured off of, you know, what is normal by being white. And so being raised in predominantly white churches, um, I, I cycle back through my own history. And I think like maybe there are times where certain extreme racism would be identified, but definitely not like called out, discussed and talked about. And if anything, it's um, in the opposite where um, it's there, there are times where racism or prejudice is almost used as humor. It's used as um, a punchline or just kind of like, uh, oh, that's a little awkward. And then we just kind of backpedal and move away from it. And so um, part of the thing in, um, especially in more recent years for myself is um, helping, helping me understand from a place of, of white culture that um, racism isn't always just using um, certain terms to refer to other people or, um, you know, the, the murder of a person being a thing that, oh, that is overtly racist. Well, we can name that as that, but there are ways that we can actually live out of a place of, of prejudice and bias toward others that, um, from, from, again, from white perspective, that um, may seem completely normal and have become socially normative. Um, and the way where that happens all too often is actually inside of predominantly white churches and that creates almost like a silencing effect for people of color. And yet this is something I had to learn. This is not something that um, I was aware of or could see or know, but it's actually something that I had to learn and then becoming more aware of it. Um, it's been one of the things that I started recognizing that um, it does a disservice to the humanity of God that exists in, in all people, but especially people of color. And so there's this growing awareness of how do we have what feels like uncomfortable or maybe awkward conversations for a person who is white that um, I, I, am, I am coming to an awareness and understanding that for people of color are conversations and awareness that exist every day, all the time, every moment of life. And yet from a place of white privilege, I haven't had to carry a burden of thinking about that. And um, so in the church, man, that becomes so vitally important. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that scripture talks about is um, the gift of the Holy Spirit is to reveal truth to us. And so I think part of what you're saying, Brad, is this idea of implicit bias. And it wasn't for me, again, someone with white privilege that identifies as Caucasian, as white, um, Midwestern white, uh, to be specifically, or be specific because of where I was raised. Um, it wasn't until number one, God through the Holy Spirit began to deal with me and reveal some things that were inside of me um, that I wasn't even aware of bias I had towards people that were different than me. Um, you know, not just different in race, but different in all kinds of ways. Um, reveal things inside of me um, of assumptions that I made about people and, and misconceptions that I had about different cultures. And, um, and but it wasn't just uh, the Lord working through the Holy Spirit. It was when I was willing to start 
actually acknowledging it for what it was and then start having conversations about it with people who were not like me, um, who were different with, different than me. And then it was me taking that even a step further and actually um, educating myself and going and doing research and understanding the history, not a whitewashed history, but a true history of what has occurred um, for generations of what is systemically present there. And so um, going back to this idea of the Holy Spirit reveals truth, the Holy, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal what is inside of us um, that we, are, we don't even know necessarily exists because I think it's the implicit bias, it's the implicit um, racism that occurs that can destroy us the most because it's hidden and, and it's deceptive. And we are, like Carlton said earlier, we're literally harming people within our church communities. Um, and so my, my question may be kind of a follow-up to that for you would be, um, what are, if you're you know, comfortable sharing, what are some ways that you maybe have sensed that implicit form of bias or implicit form of um, even potentially racism in faith communities that you have, have been in? So I'll, I'll, I'll start. So, um, so in the, the predominantly white church that I, that I grew up in, so myself and my other friend um, who, who is black and identifies as, as you're making, like, you, you know, grew up in church together, we raised together. And like a lot of people assumed we were brothers, <laughs> like, and it, and like thinking about it, like, I don't know if it was because we were around each other all the time or the fact that we were two black people in the church and oh, because they're black, they're related, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that, and that happened, that was, that was in the church, you know, and um, like, you know, sometimes we like joke about it, you know, but then like, it, it, it really does, you know, it, it does like wear on you and it does, you know, get to you. Like, like, so like, do you truly like know who I am? So if you did that, you would know, I'm not, I'm not related to this person. He, he is like a brother to me, <laughs> you know, but like, don't just assume because we're both, we're both black and don't look anything alike, <laughs> nothing um, other than our skin color, you know, that, you know, that we are related. So like some people may not have seen that as like bias, but it, it, it was like, like you're, like you're making, you're making an, an, an assumption because you have no idea <laughs> of, yeah. you know, who we are. Yeah. Like when you say that, it kind of like highlights in my mind of this idea of like the majority versus the majority culture versus the minority culture that like whatever's dominant is right. Gonna, it's going to highlight whatever mm -hmm. is not. And so then mm -hmm. assumptions start happening. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Carlton. Um, I, I have <clears throat> not the same uh, situation as Carlton, but similar uh, in that there was a church that I was in and there were some uh, white uh church members who would insist on every morning every sunday morning coming up to me and greeting me and asking me how i'm doing and having a full-blown conversation with me in spanish i'm not spanish um i don't say that as an insult but i'm not uh and part of it was what carlton said like do you know me at all and it's also the idea that you know someone in my position who's mixed race it's a little or very ambiguous where I actually come from. It is, I, I am seen as either light skin black or Spanish because I don't have any definable facial features that are connected to any specific race 
but yet I'm darker than white. Um, so that was one of my experiences with, you know, this, these people really well-intentioned because they thought they were connecting with me, but yet there was still that bias because they weren't connecting with me. They weren't connecting with me at all because they had no idea. Yeah. I don't speak Spanish because it's not part of my heritage or culture. If you, if you were able to name kind of like a feeling or an emotion of like what that causes inside of you, like what would that be? Uh, now I don't really care. Uh, simply because part of my process is trying to learn where people are coming from. Uh, at the time, it was I was really annoyed, and it was hurtful because I'm like you, you like I said, you think you're connecting with me, but you're not connect. You're not taking the time to actually get to know me mm. or to care about who I am or where I'm from. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> Courtney, it's funny. I've, I've witnessed it countless times of, of Latinos speaking in Spanish as someone that they assume is of the same ethnic background. And it, it typically happens, like, and I've seen comedians joke about this where they're at the store and they're speaking to the cashier of some sort, or it's like, you always want to start this dialogue. And I would always feel, and I don't know if it, maybe when I was younger, my, my shyness of, of whether it's be speaking to strangers or speaking in Spanish, but it was, I always wonder, like, why do people just do that? And, and I see it all the time in, like, grocery stores, um, particularly in predominantly um, Hispanic neighborhoods, like the sea towns, if people are familiar, in, in Connecticut, where it's, again, it's a very significant, a prominent uh, Hispanic grocery, or mini supermarket, essentially. And it always happened. And I would always be like, what if people just don't want you to speak Spanish to them? And you can see sometimes where people would feel uncomfortable, and they'd speak and answer in English, and some people wouldn't answer at all or just smile, and some people would answer in Spanish and create this whole dialogue. But I always felt uncomfortable to do that because I didn't want to assume anything. And I don't know also if it was in large part because I've had close family members that are also not full Hispanic. So I would think that in some of them that look and some that don't look Hispanic, it's like, well, I wouldn't see them and associate them as, um, so my family's ethnically or culturally from Puerto Rico. So I wouldn't consider them Puerto Rican or Spanish speaking country. So I'm not going to speak to them in that way or automatically assume. Um, and I know people question when they look at me to do it or not. And I can see the, the, the dialogue in their mind, like, should I say it? Should I not? Um, so it, I hate to say it, but I've seen it and I'm not going to apologize for the people because I, I, that's, I don't feel like it's truly sincere of me, but I think culturally uh, uh, to your point, I think there's the, um, the ignorance of, of, again, what you're used to, and then not thinking that you could be really offending somebody and just going through what you've been taught or what you've seen. And that's a, that's a problem to me. Um, and then the flip side to answer the original question, I similarly went to a church. Um, I've been to uh, predominantly diverse churches, but there was a time when my family and I were going to a church predominantly white. And I don't know if it was in a time where I was more formative and just making more observations in terms of identity and who I was. But I, it was a time where, again, I was um, coming from a place where I was um, maybe dressing more, call it urban, or where it was a baggier or wearing certain, I, I'd look a certain way. I knew I, I knew I'd look a certain way. But that was how I identified myself. That's what I was comfortable in. And I was in a place where that wasn't the norm. So not only was I in a new place, a new church, trying to understand what and it was a little bit more legalistic on top of that. So I was, it was so different than what I was used to. I was trying to conform and understand the 
um, spiritual religious piece of the church structure, but then I felt uncomfortable with the people and I always felt different and it drove me nuts. And um, a family member that used to attend that church um, would make comments and address certain biases. Not, and now I understand that they were, he was addressing biases in conversations with our family, but he would kind of get cast off as if you're, you're just crazy, like you're being exaggerated. And it's like, but I feel it, but I didn't know enough to be open to share. But it's like, I, I feel different and, and I don't like this feeling. So what does that mean? And I would, I, I, <laughs> I'd, I'd be purposely wake up on a Sunday morning and be the quietest I could be. So if I didn't want to wake my parents up because they didn't want to go to church, then I, I wouldn't do that because I didn't want to go to that place. Um, and so I grew out of it going then switching to a more diverse church. But that's this conversation and conversations previously um, outside of this have sparked, reminded me that I had blocked that memory out because I just never felt comfortable. And thankfully, I haven't felt that way since um, in the places I've gone to worship. But it's it's real and I see it and or I've seen it. And I got to imagine it's still happening in certain places. Uh, Will, I would like to uh, just mention, interestingly enough, in this experience that I shared, it was never Hispanic or Latinx people that came up and spoke Spanish to me. That's awesome. It was white people. That's awesome. So it was, it was a, <laughs> awesome. It was a very awesome. different like, again, I, I just assumed, right? So, <laughs> right. so it, it goes to show you again, there's still, I, hey, most people probably would assume, but it, that's, that's even more interesting. Than that. And I'd actually, we, we could talk about that more offline but that's i'm more intrigued now by the story too <laughs> it was interesting yeah sharisa do you have anything to share in the, on that one no um no people have spoken spanish to her too yeah like I, yeah yeah but i'm so used to it that i i say no if i could think if I had more time to think I think that there would there would be things that would come to mind but I think they're either suppressed or just become the norm of life sure. like he said like it's like you know there will be commentary about my hair or um things of that nature but the assumption I think a lot of the times is that I have to be mixed um so it's like you so you're black and you're what and so or um both of your parents are black like it's like I get that in the church I get it outside of the church and it's like yes both of my parents are black um and as similar to what Will said, uh, I didn't get it um, when I was younger, but the more um, I've come to understand that that means that someone is implying that I'm, I have to be something else in order to have hair that looks like this, it's mm -hmm. very offensive. Yeah. yeah. I think um, going back to kind of the original question or original statement that we had made is that the church needs to go first in addressing addressing these things um as i hear you share your even just like and i know because i know each of you individually then I, I know that there's more experiences um that you're limited in sharing and and being able to share in this type of conversation um even in the the facebook uh conversation that we had in our our private community group you know each of you mentioned a few things and i think um what I'm at least what I hear from it is the harm that's done, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And again, sometimes with implicit bias, oftentimes it, it's very unintentional. It's right. because it's implicit. It's the idea I don't know about it until it's happening. So it just reminds me one more time of how important it is that we have these conversations, but that they do need to start in the body of Christ because 
if, if the body of Christ is anything, it's that we're loving others that were that revealed expression of Christ's love to the world. And so this is part of it. And, and so, um, we need to have the conversation in the church. And when we have the conversation in the church, the Lord works through that in beautiful ways for us to learn from one another and, and to correct, um, a correct bias and correct assumptions that we have. It seems like sometimes the way, I mean, we see it in, you know, businesses or, or community spaces where um, the way to to address these things is to create the perfect blend of people in front of people. You know, like the stock photos where you go, oh, it seems like there's one of everybody represented for, you know, a business or whatever. But it happens inside the church, too, where sometimes it feels as though churches will recognize it, especially predominantly white churches, and go, okay, well, we need to make sure we have a person of this type in this visible place and a person of of this culture in this place, or we're going to have a day where, you know, we overly emphasize people's <laughs> cultural and ethnic um, backgrounds and who they are, but then the rest of the year, it's kind of silent. And so I want to come back around to this concept that we were talking about of this, this sense of like, uh, of, of biblical justice or an idea of um, fighting against, it's not, it's not enough just to say I'm not racist, but it's, it's actually moving to a place of being anti-racist, of moving against racism and identifying where it exists as places of bias and racism in ourselves, but realizing that's part of the work that God wants to do in us collectively. So when we talk about that idea of, of biblical justice or God's justice, God's mercy, um, how does that resonate with you? And then, you know, what is, what is even your own perspective on that when it comes to these issues of, of culture and ethnicity and, and racial background? Um, I, I have a thought, but I do want to add to what you were saying about diversity. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, I go to this diverse church. That's great. Grocery stores are diverse too. Yeah. Subway cars are diverse. Uh, diversity doesn't necessarily mean equality. And it's cool. It's a great thing. But when you, when you don't have appreciation for unique culture, unique individuality uh, or background, diversity is as good as being at the grocery store or being in a subway car because you don't know those people and you're yeah. not connecting with those people. Um, of course, if you're at church, you might be hearing about Jesus. So a little better than the grocery store, maybe. Um, so. That's a great, that's a yeah. great point. That's a great point. But it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to pick back up on the justice piece, or I feel like that is a valid point for sure, though, that we can definitely be within a diverse community um, and that mean absolutely nothing. And I would say that an example of that for me personally would be the post that happened within our community. Um, it's very disturbing, disturbing and alarming and hurtful to be vulnerable and feel as though you're either overlooked or not heard. Um, and it's even more painful to see that out of a small community, out of an intimate community, um, especially where we preach about um, transformation and um, holistic health and all of these good, great things. But when you see um, the majority, I would say 95% 
of our community see and not respond in any way, whether that be a response in a like, whether that be a response in taking the time to comment, whether that be a response in reaching out and extending um, a message or invitation for conversation, that is very damaging and it's very, very harmful to happen within the church. Um, and we are not exempt because we attend a diverse church. Like that's not good enough. And I think a situation like this exposes that. Um, and we cannot say that we are seekers of justice if we are not even willing to diagnose or have a conversation um, that can begin to peel back um, having true transformation in that arena. So for me, it's been very difficult to say my community, for example, because that would not be a community that I would want to be a part of if something like this is exposed, mm. um, which it has been. So it's very, it's just, it's very disheartening for it to know that things are happening around us, but especially within an intimate group of people where we talk about community and we talk about love and we talk about being brothers and sisters. Yet, if something were to happen to your brother or sister, um, even in the, in the context of family without relation, you wouldn't just ignore, the majority of us wouldn't just ignore and just not say something. If my husband was hurt and expressed hurt, like it's mm -hmm. my responsibility as his wife, but also as a human being mm -hmm. to acknowledge his hurt. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that I can fix it, but I can acknowledge, I can at very least <laughs> acknowledge and make myself available to listen to him. Yeah. I think part of um, what I'm, like when you're talking and sharing, um, Sharissa, what I'm hearing is like the pain that's present when you don't feel heard mm -hmm. and when there's silence that's present mm -hmm. and that silence, intentional or unintentional silence creates harm and creates pain and creates a sense of, of isolation even. And you think if someone posts a, you know, post something on social media or calls a friend or texts and says, can you pray for me? I'm really struggling. I'm really hurting. You know, this has caused me a lot of pain. You know, that person either on social media or through a text or a phone conversation is going to immediately respond and say, absolutely. Like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm so sorry you're hurting. I'm so sorry. There's a, a sense of loss here. But then when you share um, a post that actually is expressing pain, is expressing hurt, is expressing offense even, and their silence, it causes you to think, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that's on, you know, social media. I think that's in a texting conversation. I think that's in our communities of faith where it's not being talked about. Yeah. And that's, I think, I think some, one of you may have said it earlier of this idea of like silence can be complicit yes. because silence causes pain because people need their experiences and need their stories to be heard. And, and there's power in knowing that, that you've been heard. And so part of what you share like makes me think of that idea of sympathy versus empathy, which I think is a huge part of moving into actual engaged, active justice um, for people. And it's part of that active um, nature of showing mercy, like we talked about earlier, and even the righteousness piece that Courtney talked about of being in right relationship, people, is to move from a place of sympathetic observation. Yeah. I'm so sorry you're going through this, but I'm not going to, I don't know that I can go any further in being in the pain with you of it, mm -hmm. to actual empathic, engaged, together, 
standing with. And so when you ask about biblical justice, that's in my mind, that's what I'm learning is biblical justice. So Sharissa and what you're sharing, it's this idea of like, you're hurting, you have felt offended. Even if I've been on the other end of that offense, man, I'm going to, I'm going to stand with you in that. I'm not going to try to justify it for you. I'm not going to try to give you logic. I'm not going to try to give you reason. I'm just going to be present with you. And I think that's, that's definitely key because my wife and I have talked about this like a lot as well. And um, she identifies as black Jamaican as well. And um, like for, I got pushed like to, to, to share some of her stories. So, um, so for like, like for her, like it, it does take like, like a lot for her to like be vulnerable and, 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 and to share, you know, things like that, you know, Sharissa shared in our, in our, in our um, community group, you know, because like, you know, for a long time, like, you know, my wife would like share things with people in the church, outside the church. And like, you know, sometimes people didn't know how to respond. Um, and she took that as they don't care because, <laughs> you know, you know, silence is a response as, 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 we, as we've talked about, you know, so I think like if, 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 if we, if we really want to build a, a, a community, you know, of, of care, of belonging, you know, it's, it's sharing our, our whole, our whole selves, like all of it, you know? Um, so we talked about that earlier too, like kind of offline, but just like, just being comfortable, like sharing, like, like all of us, like, like the good, the bad and, and the ugly, yes. you know, and, and true transformation can't, can't happen if, 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 you know, if any of us or people who are not on this, on this video call, like aren't comfortable, like opening up about things that, that, that they're, that, that they are going through, whether it is, you know, racism, prejudice, like, you know, gender inequality, like, like, like whatever it is, you know, like if, 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 if our community's not, if, if 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 we don't model that behavior, then you know we are becoming implicit. We are like that's the response. Like you know, like we don't care. Like you may not feel like you may not feel that way, you know. But just acknowledging, like like Kristen said, just like like you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm sorry. I'm walking this way with you. I I don't know what to say, and that's okay to say. I want to put that. Out there. It's okay to say you don't know. <laughs> like like that's okay. <laughs> that's perfectly fine to say that you do not know <laughs> you know or, or you don't know what to say yeah. like that's okay yeah yeah still saying something though so it's, exactly yeah, what was I, that courtney i said it's still saying something though to yeah. say i don't know what to mm -hmm. say or i don't know is still mm -hmm. saying something and that in a sense is expressing vulnerability yeah because we don't live in a culture that encourages i don't know yeah. right yeah. um yeah. i i've been thinking a lot about you know the 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 question you asked and actually Sharice said also the lack of response to what you shared uh and I, I i'm not saying this indicatively of essence place church but the church as a whole um it from what i've experienced in my life what i've seen and what i've read um the church as a whole has a horrible time embracing other people's pain because they cannot embrace their own mm. and you cannot be empathetic to someone else's struggle. You can't love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not understanding your own struggle, if you're not loving yourself and I'm not saying like, you know, even saying like, well, you're a white person. We've been racist to you. I'm sorry. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we've all felt the pain of rejection. We've all felt 
some level of pain, but for a lot of us growing up in the church, you just give that pain up to Jesus and it's all gone. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that is predominantly the church culture that most of us were raised with, which doesn't do very well with teaching empathy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't do very well with mm-hmm. teaching mourn with those who mourn, mm-hmm. um, sit with those who are in pain. Yeah. Um, and I know Brad, you and I, a couple of days ago, kind of talked a little bit about the idea of lament mm-hmm. and how the practice building a language of grief and a practice of lament within the church goes a long way to helping people sit with each other's pain to helping people engage with struggles that they don't know about, but yeah. learn to care about. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's all throughout scripture. You got two thirds of the Psalms are about lament. Um, And lament isn't, you know, I had someone say this to me the other day, well, that's just whining and complaining. No, lament is not whining and complaining. It is speaking what is, it is speaking to what is wrong in our world. It is speaking to what is wrong in our lives. And for someone to care about Sharice's situation, my situation, Will's situation, Carlton's situation, if they don't care about their own situation, on that level, yeah. why would they care about ours? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or if they don't know how to address the pain in their exactly. own Exactly, even better. And I, don't, yeah. I definitely don't know how to address another person's pain. Yeah. I can't even, you That's know. probably better said than if they don't, they don't care about well, it. Well, I think, well, no, it can go either way. Yeah. Because I think that, I think there's both. Yeah. But I think part of that too is identity that we have, you know, you have to acknowledge your identity. And we're not saying that white is wrong, but we're not saying white is right either, but we all have to dive into and accept and embrace our own unique racial and cultural identity. Yeah. Cause you can't move forward until you do that. This, you know, you said it before the whole idea of colorblindness is ridiculous mm-hmm. because nobody's colorblind. And if you try to be, you are 100% denying creation. You're denying the beauty that God created us all to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Will, were you going to say something? Sorry, Will. No, no, it's fine. It's just because it, it's, you brought up a, a ton of good points. So it's like, I look at even on the other end of it where the people that are in church that are choosing to put this facade up, right? So they're not addressing their own pain, but you're coming into the church already trying to be something for whatever reason, for different purposes. And I think I addressed it, and this may not be completely um, a good analogy, but I know very, very early on when we were, you know, meeting at Pastor Brad and Kristen's home in the early days of Essence Place, right, I made a comment um, that I was a little afraid to say out loud, but it was honest because it's speaking from church hers where, you know, I see Pharisees in the modern day church all the time. And I see it, which I think then leads and, and, and leaks into the bias the privilege of people whether and whether it's driven by race whether it's driven by the sense of entitlement of position and title um i see it and then so when when people can't bring themselves off that pedestal and to simply address what i think is a should be a human an innately human a humane empathetic response then that's a problem and i and i know i don't i'm not i'm not the most confrontational person in regards to and outwardly extroverted confrontational but i will speak up when when things get to a point where like this the wrong is wrong right so i rather i rather see somebody say something in a sense where it's like you you put yourself with me right and yeah. I, I love i actually I, I can't stop thinking about diversity does not mean equality 
Um, but I need you to know that you, I need to know that you're walking with me through this, even if you don't understand, right? If that's the case, then it's, maybe you might be not walking next to me, but you're walking right beside me, or right, I'm sorry, right behind me, knowing that I have your support behind me. And, and if you want to take a different analogy, there's no secret that we've shared our, our, our story of our fertility journey, right? But there's a number of people that have said, I didn't know what to say, and then they, don't, they didn't speak. So to me, you're, you're outwardly expressing you don't care. Right. So according, don't change your, your, your term. It could just be that people don't care. Yeah. Right. And, and that is what it is. Yeah. But that's a different, that different conversation. But silence. And I said it in both posts um, that I've either written to or posted where silence, silence feeds the oppressor and feeds the oppression. Right. So that silence is typically I'm learned never a good thing. And I was under the interpretation before. It's like I don't have. I can't relate or I can't say something, then I'm not going to say it because I just, I, I can't put myself there. But now I've, I, my, my world has flipped 180 through my own experiences and especially through this where don't, don't stay silent. Even the acknowledgement that you don't understand or you have questions is, is enough to at least open the, open up the doors to yourself and your own, and your own reflection. Say, all right, I don't understand, but I, you've got something here or yeah. something that you said made me feel different i can't put a word to it but something something's in me that's working i need to i need to just figure this out mm-hmm. and be okay with opening especially in the church right let's mm-hmm. i don't want to i don't want to come to church garden yeah. right mm-hmm. um so and you can't say that about different places but i don't want to come and step in the doors and be like uh, i'm just not i can't be myself because i'm not i don't trust the people around me now yeah and i think the lack of empathy will definitely have people's guards up and then you're just we're just a faking it till we make it right and, and then again where's where's the love where's where are we walking like christ i sorry real quick just real quick to respond um before we transition because i know we'll have to wrap up the conversation soon but um one thing that several of you have said is that even when you don't know say that you don't know even when you're unsure or uncertain say that you're unsure and uncertain instead of making an assumption you know, I'm thinking of the instance, Courtney, that you brought up of a white person starting to speak Spanish to you instead of assuming, ask a question, mm-hmm. you know, ask the questions, say you don't know. And what that does, though, is it requires the person to put themselves in a place of humility mm-hmm. to actually set down pride that says, I actually don't know. I'm actually unsure. It requires you to put on humility and actually move forward in humility to come under a person rather than standing over the person. And I think that's a really, really important point for us to make in our community and then the larger community of Christ, the body of Christ, is that we need to put ourselves in the humble place to say, I don't know. Um, I think the white community specifically needs to put themselves in a place that says, I don't know and I am uncertain. And I do have questions, but I'm going to put myself in the place of, of humility to come under and say, what can I learn? How can I learn? Yeah. You know, show me. I, I am not sure. And I think that's what Jesus taught. Even as he called out the Pharisees, the religious leaders, um, he, caught, he called out those who thought they knew, but actually were very much, in fact, blind. That's scripture. And he said, no, you actually don't know, even though you think you do, you need to come under and you need to come into a place of humility and say that you don't know. I want to, uh, just for the sake of time, I realize there, this, this conversation and um, what we're working through can't be taken care of in a one and done Sunday morning time together. Um, 
And so there's, there's more of this that we're going to talk about. We actually are going to take our Wednesday night um, online session on Zoom this week to um, continue this conversation and invite um, anybody who wants to join their voices into this conversation and realizing, again, that takes another level of vulnerability. It feels like taking some risk, but it's worth getting into a space where we can be, um, like, like you just said, humble with one another and, and to hear from one another and to talk. Um, one of the things I want to do is um, we are going to pray in just a moment to, to wrap things up. But um, I, I recognize that, especially for a person who, again, is coming from a place of privilege, um, coming from white culture, the ownership and the burden of doing this work of awareness and growing rests on on me, rests on, on that person. It's not on people of color to educate us or to do the work for us. And so um, what can you recommend, though, in um, a resource, a book, uh, an author, a video, what are some things that you would recommend to, to help a person start doing some of that work on their own and then be able to bring what they're, they're processing and working through to a space to talk about and continue learning? Well, the beauty of the 21st century, <laughs> there are so many avenues. Yeah, <laughs> imagine resources. that. So yeah. many, so you know, no excuse there. Um, but to have a starting point, um, so for me, so last last year I found this um, this podcast called Pass the Mic, and it's um, it's a it's, it's by two two gentlemen, African American males. Um, one's a pastor, one's a historian, and 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 they talk about like like everything under the sun, like, like as it relates to like 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 being being black um, and a Christian in in the U.S. and in predominantly white spaces, uh, multi multiracial spaces, predominantly black spaces, and kind of what all that means. Um, so I'd recommend that. You know, you can listen to it. You know, I, I I think I believe they're on Spotify and and Android and and, and iTunes. So uh, I'd recommend that resource. Pass the mic and the two gentlemen that um that um. That hosted uh, Jamar Tisby and Tyler Burns, uh, and they're both both great. That's good. Thank you. I'll go second. I found a website called covchurch.org. Um, that's covchurch.org. One of the um, they have a lot of resources um, regarding church reconciliation with racism and just race in general. Um, there's a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James H. Cohn. He's a theologian. And then there's also a book by Layla um, Saad, which is Me and White Supremacy. It's a book to do the individual work um, for people who are willing to seek and understand um, more around racism. So those are my recommendations for resources. Um. I would recommend, and I know I already recommended this to Brad earlier this week, um, Dr. Christina Cleveland. Uh, she teaches at Duke University, and she does a ton of work um, with race relations and justice in the church. She's also African-American. Uh, you can find, there's a couple of her talks. They're two hours, so you're in it for the long haul, but they're so worth it um, on YouTube. She's also written a couple books. Uh, one which I just ordered. I have. I have to. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to. Uh, it's called uh, "Disunity in the Body of Christ." Uh, catchy title. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. 
just by the title alone, pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, but I would recommend her. She's she's got a great approach to all these things that we're talking about. Yeah, there's there's a website actually. I found a test um, that's a little more simplistic, but I think if people are you know want maybe a baby step, um, it's implicit.harvard.edu. And there's a string of tests in there, and I and I've stepped through a little bit of it, but I think it's it's one of those where you you know that you have to do a number of them to actually feel like to get some like real in depth um, content. But I think it's a good temperature check, mm-hmm. so to speak, to see where you're at in your basic implicit or biased perspective, where your mind goes, and you've got to go through this test where you're, you're hitting two keys and you're doing as fast as you can, and it, it tested me so. Yeah, I've, I've done that one too, Will. It, uh, it, yeah, it makes you feel a little comf- uncomfortable when you get to the end results, for it, sure. It does. So maybe I'll share some, some of the results on Wednesday. But uh, I, I think it's a, it's a very simple way to do it that's maybe not as heavy, but it just, it, you don't, you're not spending a lot of time necessarily in deep thought. But I think it's a good starting point. I, I, I will third that, Will, because I spent about 45 minutes doing that about three months ago. <laughs> And I was thoroughly uncomfortable with myself, which yeah. is probably a really great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It happens in discomfort. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Change should happen. Yeah. Exactly. So that's one of the things is um, we want in this conversation um, not to just be coming to a place of like feeling overwhelmed or feeling like um, all of a sudden shame or I don't feeling powerlessness, but actually pivoting to a place of recognizing that there is hope, but it requires some work. God doing the work in us. Mm -hmm. We're not alone. We believe we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Mm -hmm. so what we'll do is we'll collect um, these resources and maybe some others if you didn't have time to to name them now, but we'll collect those and make them available to the church. Um, We'll send out, uh, I'll figure out how we do that, either a link, an email, or maybe just a put it on the website, easy place for you to, to get access to those as a church. Yeah. Um, well, we, as we go ahead and close, we just want to say again, thank you so much um, for being willing yeah. to be vulnerable, for being willing to help us start having more, um, you know, public, more directed, uh, more poignant conversations um, on these topics and we're grateful for you. Um, you gave the gift uh, and blessing of going first. And we are so grateful for that. And um, I believe that the Holy Spirit is in the midst of this um, and will continue to do the work that only the Spirit can do, um, which is to change our hearts, you know, which is to transform us. Um, we have these conversations um, and we release the outcome of the conversations um, into the hands of the Spirit of God. Um, and so the final thought that um, I have is that similar to what Brad said, um, we have to be willing to address our brokenness for us to experience freedom and for us to experience transformation. And it is our heart and prayer for Brad and I as pastors, and I know for the four of you as well, that that will be what people take away from this conversation is that is everything bad? No. Is the church horrible? The global church essence place, whatever. Is it horrible? No. But the reality is, is that we have brokenness individually and corporately. 
And God calls us to address the brokenness within us. And then as we address that brokenness, his kindness leads us to repentance. And as we're led to repentance, we experience the transformation of Christ and then the freedom and abundant abundant life of Christ, and then the power of what it means to actually be in transformed community in Christ, which is a really beautiful thing. God blesses and honors a broken and a contrite spirit. So that's our hearts today. Um, That's our hearts as pastors. Um, That's our hearts as white pastors who are desperately trying to seek the Lord and how we shepherd a diverse community, not for the sake of diversity, but for the sake of true transformation in the trenches together diverse community. So may God help us do that. I'm going to read a scripture um, to end. It's from 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through 21. It says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Forever who does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And we recognize that in that strong language, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. We can give ourselves an out and say, well, I don't hate anyone. But the reality is, is that we often live our lives disconnected from our brother and our sister. And that is the same as actually hating our brother and sister when we choose to disconnect ourselves. And so may God help us um, to be transformed. May God help us to find humility. God, we just pray one more time as we close this out. Father, for um, the six of us, Father, for um, our community that's watching, for potentially a community beyond Essence Place that's watching this. Father God, we surrender our conversation in your hands. And dear God, we ask that you would do the work. God, we humble ourselves before you. God, we... um, surrender our desires we surrender our wants god and we surrender our brokenness to you god and we just ask that you alone um, would do the work but god we ask lord we are we're offering ourselves and saying god would you reveal the brokenness within us god would you reveal the ways that we harm others unintentionally or intentionally father would you reveal the ways that we have chosen to separate ourselves out to disconnect ourselves from our brother or from our sister, oh God. And Lord, would you begin a transforming process in each of us, but also in us corporately, oh God, so that we can truly express the the revelation of Christ to each other and to this world beyond. Father, we surrender it all to you, God. Amen. Amen. Before we end, I just want to thank you both for as the church, as a, as shepherds, I want to thank you both for inviting us to have the platform to have this conversation. Um, I think and feel with what I stated that um, in my early 30s, being in my early 30s, this being the first conversation that has been initiated, that that is huge um, and that you guys are going against the current and it doesn't make you perfect, but it just means that you are willing. And in that willingness, you were able to give us space to speak our truths um, and to come together and model what that should look like within the church. So thank you both as pastors um, for allowing us that space to do this. You're welcome. Thank you. 
And to everybody joining us online, I want to say thank you for um, listening in on the conversation. As I mentioned, Wednesday night, we'll have our online Zoom session. Please join us there. We'll continue that. You can find the details um, on our website, essenceplace.org, to be able to jump into that conversation. But I want to say thank you so much for joining us online. And um, as we end our time together, as we say each week, I bless you as you go into the rest of your day. And I pray that you experience the tangible peace and presence of God speaking to you this morning. Yes. Amen.